Glad you're here this morning. I want you to welcome the new members. You'll see them come up on the screen. There should be three of them pop up. Okay, five of them. Three different sets of people. Now, we usually used to do a right hand of fellowship where we'd welcome them. So I want you to take your right hand and join it with your left hand and welcome them into membership. Now, today's sermon, like it's the final of our series on prayer. And uh, as the Lord began to direct me a few weeks ago, it was going to be, the idea was we were going to have a sermon on why we should pray together. And uh, the Lord took me in a kind of weird direction. And I, I actually didn't fully understand it till this morning when the prayer group was meeting before the service. And one of the people in the team said, the Lord keeps giving me this verse. And when she read it, I went, oh, I get it. So what he put on my heart to preach this morning is that pride comes before the fall. I kind of got what God was getting at, but until the person in the prayer team said the verse, I didn't fully understand it. Now here's what the verse was. Isaiah 7:14 says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. And you probably know how the rest of that verse goes. It's a little bit formulaic, and it's okay. But the truth is, in our divided, angry, frustrated world, in our Canadian society where uh, it just doesn't seem what it used to be, I think you'll agree with me that we need some healing to go on. And here's a thought. What if COVID came for the church? I don't mean it's coming to get us. But what if God brought it about? And God has this way of bringing stuff, and it's how everybody kind of grows in their faith, and people come to Christ, and all their world gets turned upside. But what if God said, church, do you see where the land is at? Your land needs healing. And you need to humble yourselves. You heard me last week say it, that we are in decline as a church. We are no longer even respected slightly in some quarters. We are ridiculed and mocked and vilified and often shut down just because what's the importance of the church? And that makes us mad, but I think we need to get humble. And the verse goes on to say, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Oh, maybe the church is going to transform society by our humility and our repentance. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, let us get our heads around this. Because in our society, in our culture, we have been steeped in, trained in, educated in how to lead, how to fix problems, how to solve difficulties. The last person we seem to go to is you, God. And a lot of us in our society are so frustrated with uh, just the economic turmoil and the disruptions and the keeping alone and away from our families. And some of us are so terrified of COVID and we're terrified for our seniors. We're terrified even for ourselves if we have some conditions that make it worse. And, and oh God, 
Help us to understand what this humbling is. We need to get humble. We need to lean into you. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. So if I freaked you out, the door's there and you can leave now. Hopefully you'll stay. One person laughed. That's not good. Thank you, whoever it was that laughed. Made me feel better. In my prayer, I mentioned that in Canada, we're so trained. I mean, we as a church even host a thing called Leadership Summit. And in Leadership Summit, we try to teach each other how to be better leaders. We are so educated here. And that honestly is our problem. I mean, it isn't bad that we don't, I mean, we have a nice, great, we call those iMacs or something, great big screens. It's not bad that we have good backgrounds. It's not bad that you have a comfortable pew. But when that becomes what we are and we start relying on that and our brain and our ideas and our thoughts and our church growth techniques and we forget about this humbling ourselves and praying and repenting, Within our society, within our churches, it seems that we're making it almost a goal, a sort of value to just condone our sins. And believe you me, I'm not talking perfection here. But I think a lot of us need to feel really sorry for how we're behaving. Because there are consequences to how we behave. And they will be visited on your third and fourth generation of your children. Your kids themselves may be affected already. Friends, we've got to humble ourselves. So this week, knowing that, and, and you probably know, and this is why I get into this rhythm. Whenever I preach on a topic, I know that I need to deal with it first. Because I want to have integrity and I want to be myself up here. So Monday I started to pray. I said, okay, God. What pride is in my life? And so I'm driving along in my car somewhere and in my head I'm complaining. I've stopped talking out loud now to the drivers in Grand Prairie for the most part. Uh, somebody else told me this week, man, there's a lot of boneheads. I call everybody boneheads. And I used to call them boneheads too and a few other names. So I've stopped that. But I'm driving along and in my head I'm going, there's a lady driving really slow in front of me. I'm going, I, you know, I should... I should follow her into her parking lot. I should explain to her how dangerous that is. And the Lord goes, mm, 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 mm. I didn't say it out loud, though, God. Mm, mm, you thought about it, though. Well, I would never do it. Nah, but you thought about it. And I was going, man. By the way, pride is probably one of those sins that we are the most blind to. And so I was feeling like, okay, okay, uh, I get this, I, I'm very, can be opinionated, I have lots of thoughts in my head, and the older I get with my experience, it gets worse, and I'll tell you about that a little later on. But pride is something that'll just stop us from doing what God calls us to do, even though I don't say it out loud, my body language, my expressions, my, my sigh. I remember when my wife and I were first married, and she, we were in ministry, and I was putting a lot of pressure on her, she said, and I said, when have I ever said one thing to you about what you should or shouldn't do? She said, you don't have to say a word. 
And that thought came back to me as I'm thinking of following the lady into a parking lot. And I'm going, oh God, I'm sure. Oh, I hope, I hope the staff haven't noticed my eyes and my size and my, my rolling eye, whatever it might be. I, I really, or me yawning when they're talking. And, and so I'm thinking, well, how do I stop that? Well, I need to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I need to stop thinking that I'm so smart because I'm not. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1 has been my sort of mantra. God will choose the simple things of this world, this guy, to confound the wise. And that's been my goal and my dream. I am so simple and so not smart, and you're going to be all surprised. Because Jesus is working in me. So let's take a little closer look at what pride is. And the kind of things that, I'll move this so I quit puffing on you. And the little things that kind of lead to pride in your life. So the number one thing, and, and there's so many more, this is not exhaustive, trust me. But one of the number one things in our culture that can lead to pride is knowledge. 1 Corinthians 8, chapter 8, verse 1 says, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. That kind of hurts. I'm a little puffed up. When someone becomes educated, they can fall into the temptation of pride and become self-sufficient. Did you know that pastors have more education the less they pray? It's been repeated surveys. And I'm not against education. I'm not saying not to get education. In fact, I promote and encourage the staff to go get educated. But you see how you can start relying on the education instead of on God? You and I were not designed to be able to do life without God's help or the help of anyone else. Another thing that can really kind of lean us into pride is our possessions. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, I've got to get my command voice here. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. In other words, God doesn't mind that you have stuff. That's okay. You're supposed to enjoy it. But remember where it comes from. The third thing that can really puff our pride up is our abilities. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Oh, and you thought you were good at that. I don't know, what does it go through in your head sometimes? I wish people could be as smart as me and be as rich as me because I'm so smart. No, I'm sure it never happens to you. Fourth thing that can really puff us up into pride is power, authority. And the more we get it, the worse we get. Second Chronicles 26, 16 says, and this is speaking about Uzziah the king, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple to burn incense on the altar of incense. In other words, he was so blind to his arrogance and his pride, he even went to church. The fifth thing that can really puff us up into pride is youthfulness. Or, or we can even cover the whole topic of generations. 
I'm a baby boomer. We're the smartest by far, right, baby boomers? Or millennials. Man, you're so humble. Oh, my goodness. You're so awesome, right? Or Gen Zs, you're youthful, the 15 and under crowd. James 4.13 puts it in such a good way. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year here, carry on business and make money, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. Now, I picked on the youth, but the kind of flip side, 1 Timothy 4.12, and I didn't give that for the presenters, so you won't see it online or uh, on the screen here. It says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Don't think your generation's got it all figured out and you're the best. And as the next generation, I, I had a little bit of a funny interaction with one of the staff yesterday on texting. And, and I was struggling with them not being here live for something. And they're like, hey man, it, it works for my life group. It works for me. We all watch. And I'm going, oh, okay, it's my generational thing. And I said, uh, you know, in essence, I said, I'm sorry. I, I'm so arrogant. As a, this is the way we've always done it. It's not the way you do it. The sixth thing that can really lead to pride is your achievements. You've achieved so much. Second Kings 19.23 says, You have said with my many chariots, I have conquered the high mountains. I have dug wells in, a, in many foreign land. And I've refreshed myself with their water. I've even stopped up the rivers of Egypt so that my armies could go across. But have you not heard, you arrogant people? It was I, the Lord, who decided long ago. And the text goes on to say, it is God's plan, not yours. The reason you did all this is because I planned it a long time ago. The seventh thing that can puff us up is culture can breed pride. John 4, 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Oh man, I'll never forget when I went to Ecuador years ago and I sat with the pastor who had had about 40 teams, short-term teams come to him. And I, I'm not, this is gonna sound prideful. I believe it was God who gave me the thought because I am as full of pride as anybody. And cultural pride, I think we're so smart, North American, Canada, we have so much to offer. But I just got the sense when I sat with this pastor, I said, through the translator, I said, we are your partners, you are the boss. He actually started to weep. He started to cry. We're so, and he said, I've never had a leader of a short-term team say this to me. Oh, shame on us. Shame on us. Another thing that can puff us up is opportunities and gifts. And we need to understand that they all from, come from God. We didn't get them ourselves. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, what do you have that you did not receive? And there's about a dozen other verses I could throw out there. These gifts that we get from God can fool us to trust in ourselves instead of the giver. Such pride always precedes a fall or failure. Always. I remember in high school, I inherited a little bit of money halfway through grade 12 year. It was 1979 and I bought myself a 1976 Toyota Celica and it was in mint shape, low kilometers. 
And I can remember, and, and you know, I was already a follower of Jesus then, and I remember the Holy Spirit let me see what I was doing, but I would drive up to the high school and I'd park right by the window where all the girls would be looking out because I had this bright green sports car. I used to sing, you know, that bright white sports car song from the 70s, you guys. I would sing my bright green, green. Oh, it was a Toyota Sleek. It wasn't a sports car. I know, but follow with me. And I even remember hearing out of my mouth one day, man, people should get, because I had a job. I had to, to keep putting fuel in the car. I wish people would work hard like me and they could buy themselves a nice, I said it out of my mouth. Did I earn anything on that car? Not a stitch. And even when you do earn it, how did you get that job? Where did that come from? I mean, we really need to humble ourselves. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If my people who are called by my name. We are called, we are followers of Jesus. He's, he's redeemed us. We're born again. We're forgiven. And we're so proud. I could go on and on in this subject about the things that can lead us to pride. There was another whole section that I had in this message, and I'll just give you a sample of one of the things what humility isn't. Humility isn't spiritual talk. For spiritual talk doesn't prove that you're humble. And there's lots of things that humility isn't. And you can even think, remember Moses when he was called in the wilderness to go back and help Egypt or help Israel get out of Egypt? Do you remember what Moses said? Oh, I can't publicly speak, God. Pick somebody else. Pick somebody else. You know, that was a little bit of pride in there. We hide behind our false humility. You know, maybe he couldn't speak well, but when God said, go do it, we're obedient. Uh, that's kind of weird. Why would he choose me? So what is humility? Sorry, my iPad. Oh, it jumped to the top. I gotta love it. I didn't even touch the top. So what is humility? Number one, Humility is quick obedience. Philippians 2.8, this is Jesus. And being found in the very appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Aren't you glad Jesus did? This is God of the universe in the body of a man. He deserved everything. I mean, when Satan took him to the top of the steeple and said, you know, uh, save yourself from here. Uh, get some bread made for you. Turn these stones into bread. Jesus, he was so humble. He said, no, I'm not going to be tempted like that. Get away from me, Satan. How does one become humble? Through obedience. God gives us vision for the future, right? God says, I want you to walk over by that drum. So we, we get this plan, and he's showing us where we are to go, inspiring desire in us to go there. Immediately, we begin to form a logical path to get there, but all of a sudden, we find that we're a little redirected. And we go, well, that doesn't work. I, I thought you wanted me to go there, God. But sometimes, honestly, he leads us in directions that appear completely contrary to logic. For example, God could have led the Israelites from Egypt to Canaan via the much shorter coastal way. Listen to this, Exodus 13, 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, 
God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. Listen to the reason. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Sometimes God's got to take us a little different journey here and there. And in this case, it was because there might be war and uh, some nations that were really powerful would come against Israel and they'd chicken out and they'd go all the way back to Egypt. So God took them. Have you ever looked at the route? Take it, most of you, if you have your old-fashioned Bibles with paper, even online, look at the route sometime from Egypt to Israel. It's like circles and here and there. I mean, God had so much to teach them. I was 18 when I was called to be a pastor and I became a pastor at 30. If you ever had somebody that was, all the way along, I was trying to get to the journey. You know who God was protecting and all that? He was protecting you guys for me. If I'd been a pastor before that, even at 30, you think I'm blunt and say things off the cuff? Oh man, I was way worse. And I didn't grow up in the church and I had some theology that needed fixing. Probably still do. True humility acknowledges God's wisdom even when it doesn't make sense. And we don't understand. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Humility, number two, is complete dependence on God. Isaiah 66, 2, There are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit, and who tremble at my word. If God is continually having to fight your will and your pride, I mean, as a leader myself, I, those prideful people that I'm constantly having to redirect, I kind of don't want to put a lot of effort into them. How much revelation or insight do we forfeit simply because we do not ask God to show us unsearchable things. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you. Tell me and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask me and I'll give it to you. Number three, humility. How do you get humility? Humility doesn't require recognition. So if you want to be a humble person, stop with the, you know, I could write uh, Reverend Anthony Balmer, BTH, and uh, I, I tease somebody in the congregation that before the service because they, they're a PhD, they're a doctor. But he says he's not a real doctor because he's got a PhD. Now I'm giving away too much. So, but anyway, you get it. We, we want to puff ourselves up. We want the important. We want, and I sometimes, I, I do have to write reverence sometimes, like on marriage certificates, sometimes in a write to the government. But I remember this debate going on when I was first a pastor. I wouldn't even let people call me pastor. I, I put my pants on one leg at a time. Like, I don't need that veneration. I don't need to be especially reverend. My goodness, I'm no holier than anybody else. My wife's uncle <laughs> saw me doing that when he came to visit. And he goes, Anthony, it isn't for you that they need to call you pastor. It's for them. So they can be humble. And yeah, it'll puff you up, but you can deal with that. So this is my compromise in my head with God. I said, if they only call me Pastor Anthony, not Pastor Bomer, and not Reverend Bomer, maybe I can handle it. So I've always been called Pastor Anthony. And it's funny, that became popular in a few years. So I started a new trend. It's all me, I'm sure. Puff, puff, my head's getting bigger. Humility isn't conceited. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 says, 
to keep me from becoming conceited, because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Did you know sometimes things happen to you and literally Satan torments you to keep you humble? Did you know God wants your humbleness that much? He wants to be able to use you that much? I've kind of figured out as a pastor that proud, arrogant pastors, people don't really like to listen to. It's kind of a scary thing. I know that I can preach. I know that I can talk in front of people and hold their attention. But as soon as arrogant wells up, usually the next week God deals with me. It's not fun. But you know what? I become a much better pastor when I'm humble. We can easily see pride in others, but we don't see it readily in ourselves. It's a blind spot. It's probably the thing that we're most blind about. Number five, humility is being teachable. Proverbs 13, 10, pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Our lives are not long enough to learn everything ourselves. Therefore, we need to learn, desire to learn as much as we can from others. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of life. The leadership summit that we had a couple of years ago, one of the speakers talked about, you know, you get these people with an IQ of six billion. I mean, they're just so smart. They're so trained. They're they, they can analyze problems like nobody's business. They did a study of, of guys that run top-down like that, and they don't ask questions, they don't have team. They're about half as effective as a company that has three people at the top or a team at the top, and they sit down and wrestle through the issues and the problems. The collective wisdom of a bunch of simple-minded people like me is much more powerful. In other words, this individualism in North America and Canada, we've got to let it go. We are useless by ourselves. Our pride and our arrogance and our education and our, our gifts and our money and our success, it means nothing. We can't do this world by ourselves. Anybody know who Tristan Cruz is? He texted me and thanked me for the kind words, but Tristan Cruz came on staff a number of years ago. He's now uh, leads Christar Canada, the mission organization. And uh, I will tell you, like, he, he, he really didn't have the age or the experience to do the role he's in, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about Tristan. I have no worries about him. From day one, when his office was just across the hall from me, I have an open door policy. The doors, during COVID, I closed it a little more, but I had my door open, and Tristan, almost every week, would stop in my office, plop in a chair, and start asking me questions. Usually it had to do with missions, because he had the missions portfolio, and he hadn't been a missionary yet, and he was young. And uh, so he would come and ask me questions every day. And he keeps it up, by the way, even as the head of Christar, he hasn't let that go to his head. He still phones me and asks me for advice. I want to ask you a question. Who do you think the one is benefiting the most in the relationship? I'm not talking about my pride. I learned so much from Tristan. His generational perspective, his insights are just unbelievable. I mean, even in the church, he would just... I would say this, and he'd go, well, have you ever thought of it this way? And I'd be going, no, I never thought of it that way. My mentoring at Southland in church renewal, I've told you before, 
My first mentor, I was so excited, I was so thrilled with Southland, what the church was like. My first mentor, 30-year-old guy, wasn't even ever a lead pastor. I thought, the first four weeks, I had such an attitude in my head and to my wife. I go, he talks too much. I don't know if I can stand another session with him. And then the Lord began to say, listen and learn. By Christmas, he had to go off and not do my mentoring group. Usually you stick with the group for a year. And I had somebody else come in. You know what? I was sad. And I recognized that 30-year-old taught me more than anybody's taught me in a lot of years. Oh, our pride, the things it keeps us from, it's just unbelievable. So why did I struggle? It was my pride. And after I got over myself, I grew, and I learned unbelievably. Point number six, humility puts others' interests first. I don't see this happening too much, even in my own life. Philippians 2, 3, the passage we read about Jesus, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Consider others better than yourself. Oh, you do that, yeah, that person that's smart, that you respect, that has so many toys and so many accomplishments, the head of that company. You do that all the time. But what about the ordinary person? You know, the smartest people, and we don't have a lot of farmers in our church, I wish, smartest people I ever met were farmers. I mean, these were independent businessmen running million-dollar corporations, and they'd be like wearing ripped tore jeans and coveralls and a straw out of their mouth, okay, I'm stereotyping them. But man, if I had to have advice about how to fix my car, how to invest my, they were incredible, how to pay my bills. I mean, they knew what to do. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this Philippians passage, Paul was willing to pay a steep price in order to bring the gospel to others and to have them grow. In prison, many times he was. Five times he received 39 lashes. You know what those are like? Basically, you're bleeding. Three times beaten with rods, once stoned and left for dead, three shipwrecks, often going without food, in danger of bandits and emperors. This is in 2 Corinthians 11. You can read it. Who did Paul do this for? For others. That's humility. Humility, point number seven, quickly confesses sin to God and to others. And this is 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. <coughs> Here's a conditional word. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Have you noticed that humility is connected to both prayer and repentance? And I would add that quick confession is almost as important. If God or humans need to continually wrestle with someone when they are wrong, then there is a pride issue. If, if people are constantly wrestling with you or, or you have somebody you're constantly wrestling with, there's a pride issue, even if they eventually submit. Okay, okay, I'll do it. So how do we acquire humility? Man, I gotta get moving, running out of time. So if humility is so essential for hearing God's voice, how do we get it? Essentially, there's two ways. 
that we can acquire humility. Number one, it's really simple. It's going to be a difficult one. Hang on. We need to humble ourselves. We need to humble ourselves. First Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore, and here's the description, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Oh, I've had that happen to me so many times. When I've had to humble myself, I'd been a pastor in a church, and I went to a new church while I was with another parachurch ministry, and I told them I wanted to do some ministry, and I'm thinking in the church that maybe they'd get me to preach, or maybe they'd get me to teach an adult class. And you've heard this story before. They put me in charge of a junior high uh, boys club group. Actually, I was the assistant to the guy in charge. And I remember going, oh. And the Lord says, humility, humility. Anthony, I want you to learn humility. The command is clear. Humble yourselves. We are to take every opportunity to humble ourselves before God and others. So where do we begin? And this is number two. We honestly need to identify pride in ourselves. It's a blind spot. Everyone struggles with pride at times. And this must be confessed. So here, let me give you just some prompters on knowing if you've got pride. Ask yourself the question, am I teachable? Do I submit to those who are in spiritual leadership over me? Do I depend on God through prayer? Am I humble culturally? Do I pre treat everyone the same no matter what their station in life? Am I judgmental, even if you don't say it out loud, if it's in your head? Do I draw attention to myself? And I'm not talking about when you give God the glory. You know, when you say, oh man, God revealed to me that sin and I had to repent. That's not boasting. That's giving God the glory. Do I boast about my accomplishments? Or do I give due credit to God and the contributions of others? Do I obey God in everything? Friends, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to assist us by using some good old listening prayer over a list like this. And we need to confess any elements of pride identified by you and the Holy Spirit. We need to pray for the desire and ability to become humble in the affected area. Philippians 2.13, a little further on in that humble stuff. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Don't get discouraged. God can do incredible things in our life. We need to live in the opposite spirit of pride. We need to live out our lives in the grace of God. For it's available for you. He wants to work in you. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves in humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you really want some exercise in that, go to Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12. And these passages talk about how we're all different, but we need each other desperately. Did you know that God trains you in humility? It would be nice if we could simply obey God's injunction to humble ourselves so that God wouldn't have to train us in humility. The truth of the matter is that we don't see our blind spots. That's why we're blind to them. And because we don't examine ourselves before the Lord, 
in this. The Lord often has to take initiative in helping us humble ourselves. Such humility is usually acquired in the desert, in the dark night of the soul, as some say. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing greater revelations. We read this before. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. I know I can be an okay public speaker, but as I've said, I know that an arrogant public speaker, I was listening on the radio the other day, driving home, and I won't tell you who it was, but within three minutes I was going, you know, the guy talked about my book will change your life, and I was going, your book? You know, well, I guess you wrote it. And, and on and on he went, and they, were, they used my name, and I just thought, well, man, you're so full of yourself, I turned it off. And God said, you know, people get frustrated with you in the same way too. If you're full of yourself, they want to turn you off, but they're sitting in the seat and they can't leave till I say the amen. So this week's topic is humility. So Monday I prayed the prayer, asked God to reveal to me what it was, and he showed me that I still have the thought process going on in my head. By Tuesday, Satan started to work on me because I obviously was trying to wrestle through it. I was trying to get my head, take every thought captive with the obedience of Christ. So Tuesday night, I only slept about two hours, and then uh, Wednesday afternoon, I, we had asked the staff to meet for three hours in the afternoon, and one of the main things I wanted to address was, how are we as a church going to continue navigating through COVID? How do, we, how do we connect with people? How do we get people to connect with each other? And, and secondly, when COVID's over, what are we going to do? So I had primed them with some videos, and another staff person sent a great video, and so I came excited as to what was going to be said, and so I'm sitting there, and I was behaving myself really well, and I wasn't, you know, yawning. I was excited about the ideas and thoughts people came up with, and, and then one staff person came up with a thought, and I heard this come out of my mouth. I was shocked, to be honest. I, I didn't stop talking, though, because I was so full of pride. I, what words came out of my mouth? I've tried that. It doesn't work. And I always said to myself, I'd never say that. You know, maybe, and you're going, well, you have experience and you have done it. Maybe you needed to say that. Well, I could have said it by asking a question or, or saying something gently or loving, but being so full of arrogance, I tried that. It doesn't work. Gratefully, the person, the staff is so gracious. I spoke to them later and they're like, oh, don't worry about it. It wasn't a big deal. So by Thursday, if, if you were to ask Pastor Rod, I was texting him, I said, I feel like such a failure. I feel so useless. And, and Rod is so good and discerning, and he texted back some really good stuff, and I started to feel a little better. And some of the things Rod says is, you need to lean into God's grace for you and God's love for you. You know, when you read Corinthians, it says that God convicts us, which leads to repentance, which leads to life. When Satan convicts you and tears you down, you can repent all the way till the cows come home. It's not gonna make you feel any better. When, when God is revealing stuff to you and you confess that pride and you ask the Holy Spirit, oh God, please help me to overcome these things that I'm struggling in. And you pray every day in and out. God, help me with my pride. Because I don't know about you, I'd almost like to ask for a show of hands. Do you like a proud, arrogant preacher or not? You know, if you don't like him, put up your I don't want to do that. Or do you like a proud, arrogant boss? I'm not going to ask you to do that because staff might put up their hand and I don't want to see that. Yeah. 
But in conclusion, have you ever stopped to ask God to show you your arrogance? God's so gracious, he'll probably only point out one thing to you. And then he'll, through prayer and relationship and hearing God process, reading the word of God, he's going to help you grow in that. And it might be a couple of months, a couple of years, I don't know. But have you ever started the journey? We, we just get, it's just the way I am. And I used to always say, well, if you don't like the way I talk, you should meet my mother. I used to say that. And then God goes, quit making excuses. Yeah, your mother was a little bit blunt. But that's no excuse for you, Anthony. And let me, number two, ask you a question. In humility, would you consider coming tonight or logging in online to our prayer summit at 6 o'clock? And let's show God who's boss by saying we need each other. And let's come together and humble. It's not like we're going to have the service where, in fact, I think I've got Thanksgiving for the church, Thanksgiving for you. So it's not like it's going to be a big downer meeting. But I think the very first thing I'm going to do is just, okay, let's pray and ask God to reveal sin. And let's, we're not going to confess it out loud. But can we humble ourselves together? Our land needs healing. And if you can't come online or come in person, maybe come online. But even if you don't have time, you're busy tonight, can you just take time and say, in spirit, the Paul talked, the Apostle Paul talked about in spirit, I'm with you. In spirit, say, God, I'm with my church, and I want to humble myself. I want to deal with my stuff, my pride, and I want to humble myself, and, and I want to repent. I want to see my land healed, and I want to be a part of this whole journey. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to communion now, oh, what a beautiful thing it is. And we know what the scriptures say about communion, that we're supposed to actually examine ourselves. We're not supposed to take the elements in an unworthy manner. And I believe part of that unworthy manner is pride. When we come to communion, we go, oh yeah, here through the ritual, not even recognizing the body and the blood of Christ, his death and resurrection. And we just go through the ritual and we don't humble ourselves and we don't say, oh, thank you, Jesus. As we take the bread, thank you, Jesus, for your body. Or we take the juice representing the blood of Jesus and we say, thank you, Jesus, for without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And I am a sinner in need of a savior, and thank you, this communion. So God, like the scriptures declare, we're gonna examine ourselves right now. We're gonna ask you to reveal any sin in our lives now, and we're gonna ask tonight, and as much as we can, we want to be transformed people. We don't wanna get stuck. We wanna be in relationship with you. We wanna be moving along, and nobody's gonna expect me to pastor to be perfect. But what joy they'll find when they see me incrementally start to grow, even at my age. It's never too late. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.